Hey, 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 it's Steven, your host for the Black Doctors Podcast. The idea for this podcast was born from this campaign I launched back in February, hashtag make black history. I am continuously inspired by the excellence represented by my peers who've overcome so many incredible obstacles to reach the pinnacle of their success. This podcast forum will provide an avenue to organize these stories for others to listen to and to learn from. This podcast is our stories told by us. This is the inaugural episode, and therefore, I'll be telling a little bit about my background, my story, how I came to be where I am. My name is Stephen. I am an anesthesiologist by training. I attended the Howard University College of Medicine for medical school, and I completed my residency in anesthesiology at the University of Chicago Medical Center in Chicago, Illinois. When exactly did I decide to be a physician? Um, this is a, I can actually remember the specific time when I decided to go down this career path. When I was in uh, junior high school, well, I'll go back even further. I grew up a Navy brat. My dad was active duty United States Naval officer, and we moved up and down the East Coast of the United States. Growing up, I knew early on that I wanted to become an officer in the military, and initially my plan was to become a chaplain. Um, somewhat aligned with that plan, I studied music my first uh, year of college. I was a music major, music ministries major to be specific, with the plan of going on to divinity school and later on becoming a chaplain in the United States Navy. In between uh, semesters for undergrad and then during high school, I had worked during construction work. And my first semester back from college, I had a job as an as electrician's helper doing high-voltage electrical work. One of the job sites was Shands Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. And every morning, I would go down to the, to the basement of the hospital where all the electrical transformers were. I would put on a pair of waders, lift up a grate in the floor, and climb a, down a ladder into the sub-basement. The sub-basement was the basement under the basement. It was uh, had a dirt floor, had muddy water, uh, blue and red crawfish, a bunch of really nasty, grimy stuff. But I go down there and I run electrical conduit and uh, electrical line as part of the job. I would see the physicians or what I thought were physicians and nurses coming in. Um, I honestly thought they had pretty decent hours because I would get to work about 530 I see a lot of people coming in in cars, uh, very nice cars, um, around my first break, which was at 7.30 or 8. Looking back now, I'm, I'm realizing that they were probably sales reps or, or other people that were not physicians with the hours they were keeping. As I worked with this crew, a couple of our jobs, we actually went into the hospital itself, went into a couple of physicians' offices, mostly to install some light fixtures. But I saw the very impressive diplomas on the wall. I saw the guys dressed up. And looking very professional and one of my co-workers kind of mumbled under his breath if he had it to do over again he would have become a physician and that's kind of what first put that bug in my ear or in my mind that maybe this life of construction or, or music even it wasn't wasn't for me um, I took the rest of that summer and thought about career trajectories and and where I thought I could end up I decided you know why not try and apply to medical school and see if I could become a doctor. Um, honestly, I looked at it as um, a good way to 
maintain a stable income that I could raise a family on. I thought it would be a very challenging and rewarding career path as well. And those were the main reasons that I, I decided to pursue the career. I went back to college and changed my major from music to actually it was pre-physical therapy. Um, I believed in myself, but I, I also wanted to give myself a backup plan and a way out in case this didn't work out. So I chose pre-physical therapy because I'd have the prereqs and be able to apply to physical therapy school if medical school wasn't right for me. But I also would have earned the prerequisites to apply to medical school at the same time. So I had a backup plan and I moved forward um, with a bunch of super tough science courses, not knowing where I would end up. In college, I remember studying with the smart kids. Um, I wasn't necessarily all that smart, or so I felt. And a lot of times they would make, you know, A's or A pluses, and I would be stuck with a B plus or A minus. And I struggled a lot wondering, you know, is this the right path? Did I make the right decision? Is this what's right for, for me to do? And one of my classmates kind of pulled me aside and was like, Ben, you were like, we're so proud of you. You're one of the smart kids. And I was like, I don't, I don't know about all that. But taking a step back made me realize that I was comparing myself to the smartest kids in the class and I was riding their coattails. And because of that, I was able to perform very, very highly as well. During the end of my senior year of college, I wasn't able to take the MCAT as a fourth year uh, or as a, as a senior in college. So I applied and was accepted to a master's program at the University of South Florida. It was a master's of science program in anatomy. And I began there in the summer of 2000, uh, 2009. So I graduated from college and then moved home for six weeks where I studied for the MCAT every day. Um, every day I studied about eight hours. That's all I did on Fridays. I would take the full length practice test. So that was my entire summer after graduating from college. Um, I took the MCAT and then headed down to Tampa to start graduate school. Graduate school was super tough, uh, unlike anything that I experienced before. The rigorous course load, the high level processing that I had to do to, to just maintain and keep up with everyone else in the class was a whole new level. I was fortunate to have a really good friends group and network. Uh, a couple of uh, friends, my, my buddy Ruan, he was uh, in the PhD program, and Nadine and Kendra um, were also in the PhD program. But we shared a couple of courses that first year, and we were able to study together and had a really good support system during that first course. Moving on with the master's program, I fell in with another group of peers, and we were all applying to medical school. So we were all taking the same courses and, and applying at the same spot in the applications period. And together, we were able to push forward and and be successful eventually. I made a couple of mistakes during the process, um, simple mistakes. The biggest struggle that I had to overcome besides just the imposter syndrome and feeling inadequate was being a first-generation graduate student, first-generation medical school applicant. I did not have that generational knowledge or, or even much mentorship and guidance in terms of what the process was. So I made a bunch of simple mistakes. One, for example, when you finish your American Medical College's admissions paperwork, there's a button you have to press, or at least you did back then, that would verify your application. So I'd uploaded all my information, and to my knowledge, I'd completed the application process. And after one of the exams in grad school, we were out, you know, having a drink, cooling off. And some of my, my classmates were like, 
oh, are you validated yet? Are you verified? And um, I was like, what does that, what does that mean? And turns out you had to hit this button and it would take a couple weeks for your packet to be verified. And I hadn't started that process yet. So I went home and, and clicked on that button, but it was a good, you know, two or four week delay. So instead of being able to send my applications out on time, I was delayed and didn't send out applications until about October of uh, 2009. So my applications were definitely delayed going out to the medical schools. Despite that setback, I did end up getting um, three interviews initially. I, that's all I could afford. I was uh, fortunate and favored to receive a scholarship to that paid for my tuition to graduate school. It was based on my GRE exam scores. And with that scholarship money, I was also able to afford to pay for three additional uh, medical school applications, one of which was Howard University. And after interviewing there, I was ultimately accepted, and that's where I attended medical school. I started with the class of 2010 and finished in 2014. Howard being a historically black college university, that was the first time that I'd actually met a black physician in person, um, and it was actually during the interview process. Um, I didn't fully understand what I was getting into at the time, and looking back, uh, it was definitely fortuitous and, and uh, predestined that I, I attend school there. The relationships that I formed, the history that I learned, my eyes were open to healthcare disparities and just the, the extremely rich history of um, African Americans in, in medicine. Um, it, it was invaluable, an invaluable experience. Not to mention uh, living in the heart of DC for four years. Um, after finishing medical school, I applied to and was accepted to residency in anesthesiology. I attended the University of Chicago. Again, um, it's definitely favored to be there. Um, I had an amazing network of co-residents and friends and different specialties, and we all got along uh, really, really well. And while I was in, in residency, I was able to apply for this financial assistance program, which is offered through the United States military, um, because I was still wanted to realize that lifelong dream of serving in the military um, in my father's footsteps. So before I started my CA one year, so after my intern year, I was sworn in by my little brother, who's a, a active duty naval officer, swore me in, and I um, started this this process where after three years of residency, I would come on active duty and serve for four years as an anesthesiologist in the Navy. In 2018, I finished residency and then uh, moved to Virginia, where I'm currently serving my my time with the military. I'm fortunate to work at a large military facility where I do have um, residents. There's a residency program, so I'm actively engaged in resident education. There's research projects going on. Um, and a lot of resources, a lot of uh, opportunities to really broaden my horizons and, and enhance my career. I'm working as the simulation coordinator for the residents, so I work with the, uh, I work with the high fidelity simulator, which is a simulated human body that has lungs that function independently, a heart that can be fully programmed in response to simulated medications, in response to anesthetic um, gas, and I'm able to program scenarios that help teach the residents different emergency um, maneuvers and techniques. It's just one of the, the great opportunities that I have to still be involved in residency education and still mentor and guide and train 
the next generation of anesthesiologist. I'm still uh, involved with the Student National Medical Associations at the different schools that, that are nearby. And whenever possible, I'm there to provide lectures or provide some mentorship and guidance with the students there. Some of the roadblocks and, and problems that I ran into along the way um, definitely struggled along the way with imposter syndrome and wondering if I belonged in this career or in this pathway. Since I was the first member of my family to attend medical school, not having the guidance and direction and mentorship available was definitely something I struggled with. I remember finishing my first semester of medical school and just being lost. I had accomplished everything that I'd set out to do. My plan didn't really extend beyond matriculation to medical school. So the fact that I'd gotten into medical school and finished my first semester, that's pretty much as I'd accomplished my goals. I didn't know where to go from there. I didn't know what specialty I was interested in. Um, I was completely lost. And as I walked out of Howard University Hospital, I walked down Georgia Avenue to the train station. And in the back of my head were thoughts of not even coming back. That's how lost I was. Obviously, I did return. And thankfully, my friend group and, and network was very supportive and at least kept me on the right track. My small group, it was a group of 10 of us, and we studied and did everything together. And together, you know, we kind of grew and developed. A lot of them were in the same situation I was in, where they didn't have any other family members that were physicians. And we all kind of figured stuff out together. One by one, we figured out what specialties we were interested in. And one by one, we, we grew to love our chosen field and chosen profession. Some of the uh, roadblocks and just difficult areas I navigated as a medical student was rotating outside of Howard University Hospital. We did some rotations at other medical centers in the D.C. area, George Washington. Um, well, we rotated with George Washington students at uh, Children's National, and we worked at Washington Hospital Center. So being in a different environment than we were accustomed to with a lot less diversity it was a very interesting world to navigate. It's pretty similar to what the real world is outside of your HBCUs. I was somewhat familiar with that environment from graduate school and um, the undergrad college I attended, um, but it was definitely a, a step back into reality to realize that this is what life is like. And I began to second guess everything and have to worry that, you know, was this because of a clinical inadequacy or a, a deficit in knowledge that I had, um, that, you know, I was being counseled or that, you know, I was being looked down on or, or at least perceived that I was being looked down upon? Or was this simply, um, you know, this is not our primary teaching site. So maybe the preference is for their own medical students and their own residents' education. Or was it because I was black and um, attended Howard and we were kind of looked down upon as um, being a, a lower tier, lower ranked medical program? So all of these thoughts in your head as a medical student or even as a resident, um, it's just an added layer of stress because you're constantly overthinking every single detail. Is this something that I can do better at? 
Is this a mistake that I need to avoid next time? Um, can I just buckle down and work harder and close this perceived gap or close this actual gap? Or is there an underlying um, component of racism or discrimination? Um, a lot of the times, you know, racism in healthcare as well as in our professions is not obvious. You know, people aren't blatantly calling you uh, slurs to your name or obviously discriminating against you that really isn't tolerated in most um, fields and in most uh, interactions. Um, a lot of this happens behind closed doors. I actually ran into some other problems and I was, as I was an intern. Um, I can count, I remember making three significant mistakes um, as an intern. Um, one, of the mistakes was uh, discussing restarting anticoagulation in a patient who came with a suspected GI bleed. Um, I didn't restart anticoagulation or, or write the order. I just discussed that with a senior resident and was immediately chastised and, and that went directly into an evaluation that I wasn't um, fully evaluating my patients. And, and there, yeah, it was a mistake on my part. Um, I do think it got blown out of context. There was a second mistake. I can't recall specifically what what it was. Um, and the third one was I had a patient who had symptoms of a, a non-ST segment and elevated a non-ST segment elevated MI. And um, through the the events the way it unfolded, I was on night float. Um, the pages went through at you know two or three in the morning. And I went to the floor, evaluated the EKG. Um, I ordered the follow-up labs. Um, I evaluated the patient. I confess, you know, that the NSTEMI wasn't high in my differential, um, but, you know, the patient was a female, so she presented with kind of the atypical signs that uh, females do present with in terms of a, a myocardial insufficiency. So, this event kind of snowballed and the labs that came back and, and confirmed the diagnosis, they actually came back after I had left for the day. So the primary team or the day team kind of followed up on that. Um, but this event kind of put me under the microscope because it was, you know, appeared as though I'd completely disregarded the patient's symptoms and missed this critical diagnosis. Um, could I have been uh, more meticulous? I, absolutely. Um, but this is what happens a lot of times in training programs where you make a mistake and now you're under the microscope. So then for the remainder of the two week block, you know, everything I did was, was uh, scrutinized and, um, and just held under a magnifying glass and examined and dissected. Um, and I was later, you know, accused of, Oh, he's not taking this seriously. You know, I had a patient who, was a frequent flyer, had some psych issues, was always complaining of chest pain that I'd actually seen when I was on um, rotating through cardiology. So the patient comes in again with the same complaints, and so I'm like, yeah, you know, he's back with the same same problems. And so again, it was like, okay, you're not taking the patient seriously, and I'm like, no, I know this guy. Um, but again, another tick, another tally mark. Um, and this eventually led me ending up in the principal's office, so to speak. I sat down with the program director, I sat down with the program director and one of the chief residents and they discussed my performance thus far and, you know, asked if I'd ever struggled in medical school, you know, what were my, 
um, step one scores and I was told that uh, one of the other attendings had already commented and was already concerned about my performance. That was actually the, the third mistake I made in residency. I had a really bad day in GI clinic. You know, I was going into anesthesia. I'm not a huge fan of medicine in general, but and all of a sudden, while I was rotating through GI, you know, go figure why I was there in the first place. All of a sudden, I ended up in GI clinic. I had to, like, put in notes on Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, and I'm trying to re- remember all this stuff from, from medical school. Um, and I was super slow, and the attending I was with was pretty rude, and um, I'd never used the outpatient note system, and he made comments like, he's like, well, we could figure it out. You went to medical school, didn't you? It's one of the comments he made. Um, and I knew it was a terrible day. So you know, one of the three bad situations or mistakes that I had made in, in during my intern year. So during this meeting, it was brought up that, you know, one of the other staff members um, expressed concerns and they said, quote, I think we made a mistake on that one. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty self-aware to the point that I said, hey, I'm pretty sure I know who that attending was. And I, I said his name and they were like, yeah, that was him. And I said, you know, that was a bad day in clinic. Um, but just the, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that's where this conversation was. And I realized that nothing that I was able to say would change the situation at this moment. So I just would have to buckle down, put my put my nose down, keep my chin tucked and, uh, and grind out the rest of my time on the medicine wards. And, um, that's, that's what I did. I, by the end of my intern year, I think I'd somewhat recovered from, from those, uh, missteps. Um, the people that weren't directly involved in that situation had no idea that I would been, I had been counseled or reprimanded and, um, I ended up doing okay. Um, definitely still, left a bitter aftertaste in my mouth. It was just kind of an eye-opening experience of this is what can happen. And you have to watch out um, because you'll get um, kind of railroaded and labeled. And it's always a a balance between evaluating yourself and seeing, hey, was this something that I could do better, something I did wrong, or is this the system as a whole? And you have to believe in yourself, but you have to be uh, realistic and you have to be honest in um, determining what this situation is and if it's something that you need to do better at or if it's something that you need to, to talk to and ask for help. I did end up talking to one of um, uh, the attendings at my anesthesia program who was super duper helpful and, uh, you know, just hashing out the situation. And he's been a mentor uh, and a friend since. Thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, um, This was just a little bit about my story. I'm definitely in further episodes. I'll talk more um, and share more about, you know, my pathway and, and how I navigated this field. Tune in next week when I'll sit down with Dr. Nate Jones and discuss pediatrics and healthcare policy. I'm Stephen, your host for the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Stephen Bradley, MD. And I am the creator of the Mask Off blog, which can be found at stephenbradleymd.com. Tune in next week for our stories told by us.